0: Having served in over 750 monitorships, no one has more experience as an independent monitor than the team at Affiliated Monitors. For more information on how an independent monitor can help improve your company's ethics and compliance programs, visit this month's sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, at www.affiliatedmonitors.com. Code of Conduct as an Internal Control. Not many compliance practitioners consider your code of conduct as an internal control, but last year we had an SEC enforcement action against United Airlines that really spelled out how this can occur. So I'm going to take some time to talk about this case because I think it really illustrates how your code of conduct, and more importantly, adherence to and exceptions from your code of conduct, can act as an internal control or a violation of your internal control. So last year, one of the most interesting non-foreign corrupt practices act enforcement actions occurred when the Securities and Exchange Commission brought an action against United Airlines. It involved a clear quid pro quo benefit paid out by United Airlines to the former chairman of the Board of Directors of the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, David Sampson. That's the public entity which has authority over, among other things, the United Airlines operations at the company's huge East Coast hub in Newark. The reason this case is so interesting from an enforcement perspective is not that, or rather, it was not foreign corruption, but domestic corruption. But for the purposes of internal controls, it also that it focused on the actions of former CEO United CEO Jeff Smyzik, and personally approving the benefits granted to favor Sampson, and they violated the company's code of conduct and internal controls around gifts to foreign officials. That uh, led to a $2.4 million penalty leveled on United and a non-prosecution agreement with the Department of Justice, which also added a penalty of $2.25 million. Separate and apart, the Chairman Sampson pled guilty for receiving the bribe. The scandal also cost the resignation of Smizek and two high-level executives from United. At the, in a press release at the time of the resignation, the company stated the departures announced today are in connection with the company's previously disclosed internal investigation regarding related to the federal investigation associated with the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. The investigations are ongoing, and the company continues to cooperate with the government. So... The facts were relatively straightforward, yet nonetheless interesting. Uh, A further twist to this fascinating case was that it all came out in relation to the Bridgegate scandal from New Jersey, although it was not related to the original claim that Governor Chris Kishner ordered the closing of certain traffic lanes around Fort Lee, New Jersey, to punish the mayor for not supporting the governor. The entire affair evolved a flight from Newark to Columbia, South Carolina, the flight was reported to be a money-losing route. It was reinstated by United at either the request of Chairman Sampson or independently done so by United to benefit, to obtain a benefit from Sampson. The reason was Sampson had a weekend home at a town called Aiken, South Carolina, which is near Columbia, and was not happy there was no direct flight service from Newark. So he got his direct flight from United. United. The flight from from Newark to Columbia was a money loser and it was derisively termed the chairman's flight. The SEC cease and desist order indeed reported that United had lost some $945,000 on the flight alone or the route alone. However, at the time, United was in the middle of trying to renegotiate its lease at the Newark airport with the port authority. And Chairman Sampson demanded this for his approval to approve the lease amendment. The flight from Newark to Columbia was canceled after Sampson resigned as the chairman of the Port Authority. According to the SEC order, in the fall of 2011, representatives of United and the Port Authority's Aviation Department negotiated a proposed agreement through which the Port Authority would lease approximately three acres of land at the airport to United for construction of a new maintenance hangar. The hangar would uh, facilitate United's ability to perform maintenance on incoming flights and new wide-bodied aircraft, rather than having them performed at another facility. Based on preliminary assessments and the information available, United estimated the hangar would result in efficient routings that would drive 47.5 million dollars in value to the United Air Network on an annual basis post-construction. During this time period, Sampson was communicating to a third party his desire that United reinstate the chairman's flight. This culminated in a dinner meeting with Smyzik and his senior team with Sampson. Sampson, once again, pressured for a reinstatement of the flight. Sampson stated that the old Continental Airlines, which merged with United to form the current United used to have a nonstop right between, route between Newark and Columbia, and asked if the CEO would reconsider that nonstop route. However, United's network planning group analyzed the projection, projected financial performance of the route, which is United's standard process for initiating new routes. It generally included a business justification, including the preparation and consideration of financial forecasts and other market data on how the route could be expected to perform and also included the approval of the Chief Revenue Officer or his staff of United. The review determined that the chairman's flight would likely be a money loser, and indeed, when it was previously operated by Continental prior to the merger with United, it was continually one of the hub's poorest performing markets. However, after United declined to reinstate the chairman's flight, uh, Port Authority Chairman Samson pulled the proposed united lease from consideration by the full board effectively scuttling the arrangement shortly afterwards Smyzik approved that ceo united ceo smisic approved the establishment of the chairman's route on the same day united's contract for the new hangars was approved by the port authority at the time united's code of conduct prohibited united employees from directly or indirectly making bribes kickbacks or other improper payments to government officials, civil servants, or anyone else to influence their actions or decisions, and that no gift can be offered or accepted if it created a feeling of obligation, compromised judgment, or appeared to improperly influence the recipient. Indeed, only United's Board of Directors could grant the waiver to the Code, and none was sought by SMISIC. Pursuant to United Guidelines, there could be an exception granted in accordance with the following procedure. Requests for exceptions must be submitted in writing to the director of the ethics and compliance program. Approvals for an exception will be in writing and must be obtained in advance of the action requiring the exception. Any exception to the guidelines for executive officers or member of the board of directors may be only made by the board of directors or authorized board committee and must be promptly disclosed to the company's shareholders. As further noted in the SEC order, no one at United sought a waiver of the United Code of Business Conduct prior to initiating the Chairman's Route for Sampson's personal benefit, nor did anyone seek or obtain an exception to the ethics and compliance guidelines prior to initiating the Chairman's Route. As a result, no reckon, written record reflecting the authorization of the Chairman's Route was prepared or maintained as required by United's policies. And as Doley noted, the chairman's route was in violations of United's own policies. So here we have a code of conduct clearly specifies if you want to give a gift to a government official to influence that government official, you have to have board approval, and that was not done. So it's very, very, very rare that a code of conduct would be the basis of an internal control violation, but here we have that example. So As the compliance practitioner, yet again, it's another example of there are internal controls out there in your organization that are probably already in place that you haven't thought of. So what are today's three key takeaways? Well, we have to start off with the fact that this was a Foreign Corrupt Practices Act case which uh, occurred entirely inside the United States, and that makes it noteworthy of itself. Two, do not forget your code of conduct is actually an internal control. And their exceptions can be granted to the Code of Conduct. But leading to number three, even your CEO and board of directors must follow the Code of Conduct. And if you require an exception and none ex- no exceptions are granted or no exceptions are applied for, then you violated the Code of Conduct. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to Day 13 of One Month to More Effective Controls. And I hope you'll join me tomorrow for Day 14. This is Tom Fox again. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of One Month to Better Internal Controls. If you've listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate this podcast as it would help in our rankings. The word out about the only one month podcast series, which enables you to design, implement and enhance a better compliance program. Also, if you have any questions, please feel free to contact me at tfox at This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening and I hope you will join us again tomorrow. Once again, thanks to our sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, for sponsoring this month's series. This production of 31 Days to a More Effective Compliance Program is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. I hope you will join me again tomorrow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.